Hey, how's it going? Welcome to another episode of Humans Aren't Robots, a series of conversations with designers and creative thinkers uncovering the human elements of teams and modern business practices. And that's exactly what we're doing today. I'm your host, Sam Davies, and I am sitting down with Nick Humphreys. Nick is the co-founder and creative director at Linktree. A lot of you would have heard of Linktree. You've probably got one sitting on your Instagram account. It's a really cool product, and Nick, as co-founder and creative director, shared some of the story of his journey to how he got to where he is today. Uh, It's really interesting for me. We have similar trajectory, both being designers and spending some time in the UK. So we went through some of the stepping stones he took to to get to a really fast scale-up business like Linktree. He's based out of Melbourne. We actually spoke over Zoom in the middle of the pandemic. So he was uh, he was had a bit of cabin fever at this at that stage. Hopefully out and about now. So I really appreciated his time. This will actually wrap up our season two of Humans Aren't Robots, and we're going to jump into a really exciting third season later this year. So watch this space. But without further ado, I bring you Nick Humphreys. Enjoy. Nick. Pleasure to chat with you again. Yeah, thank you for having me on. I've uh, been looking forward to this all week. Um, it's kind of the one interaction on video that I'm sort of, it's a new new one for me. I've got that Zoom fatigue uh, sort of, yeah, slowly encapsulating me entirely. But yeah, very excited to chat. I suppose for the sake of uh, people listening to this in the future, we are currently in uh, October 2020. So uh, Nick, you're over in Melbourne. So we're still living in a, uh, a COVID reality. So yeah, it is a Zoom lifestyle for, for a lot of us in the world right now. Correct. I've been um, coining the phrase live in La Vida lockdown because it's <laughs> kind of putting like a, a fun Latino spin on, you know, what's um, pretty a pretty grim time. But yeah, we get through it. It has been a grim time. I'm not going to focus too much on the on the on the grim time we've had. I think we should uh, look forward a bit to the the future that, that sits in front of us, which is hopefully positive. <laughs> um Let's 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 actually go backwards now, though. I'm interested. Um, um, we'll dive into a bit of your career and, and and what you're doing now. But um, when you were growing up, did you know what you wanted to be? It's a tough question. I rarely reflect on that, and it's like opportunities like this are great to kind of just dig back into the memory. Um, I was always the kid scribbling on the piece of paper at the restaurant, always. Um, so there was just like cartoons, and my imagination was kind of imprinted on the fridge and anything I could had a surface and I could uh, sort of draw on. So creativity was definitely at the forefront of everything. Um, but I also had, had sort of like an analytical and logical mind as well. So I'd always sort of be trying to, you know, create little puzzles as well. Um, and, you know, that eventually led me to study accounting at one point, which God knows what I was thinking there. Um, but sort of, just sort of wanting to delve a little deeper and kind of understand. I always loved the creative side, but then, advertising always spoke to me as a kid which is super weird um so yeah i guess that sort of that sort of want to be creative or um mostly illustration led me into uh a uni course i did actually advertising because i really wanted to a earn a living my parents like you can be an artist but you're going to struggle and um you know your hair doesn't wouldn't turn into dreads very easily so you should go and get a business degree i was like okay um you know so i spent a couple of years working in advertising and and really wanting to craft that creative idea, but bring it to life and sort of, um, you know, earn an okay wage. And three months out of the out of my course in that industry, I really recognized how toxic it was. And there was just an absolute misalignment with 
you know, I think advertising can be a good thing in many ways. Um, it doesn't always have to be just, uh, you know, a manipulation of, of the audience that can be sort of a supportive layer and, and introducing somebody to a product that truly may like impact their lives for the positive in the positive sense. Um, so I then found myself taking a year off. I did a fine art course. I also found myself in a nightclub uh, managing the bar, which was kind of, I guess, um, where I learned a lot of my people skills, I suppose, uh, and, and the ability to crunch late nights and still have a smile on my face. Um, so after the fine art degree, uh, I really sort of recognized my like desperate need to be a creator and, and sort of produce work. So, and again, my parents were like art's great, but you know, if you can monetize that and figure out a way that you can, you know, get into the workforce simply, um, you know, try and do that. So I did a psychology and design degree, communication design, like encapsulated both worlds. So not just making something beautiful, but something functional and, and, um, communication is that thing that sort of really drives me and designing that communication. Um, so yeah, that's my sort of uni life. Shall I get into my sort of early career? How, how many years of uni was that? Oh, uh, I don't often like to think of that because I, <laughs> I was treading water for about seven and seven years, seven and a half years. Okay. A long time. Um, if I had my chance again, I'd probably go headfirst into actual work to really sort of find myself. Um, and I, t I try and give that advice to any young person that will listen you know, I think uni is great, but there's also a lot to be said about just actually ap applying yourself and practically learning on the job. Do you think that's changed, um, like maybe even in the last sort of 10, 15 years in, in terms of sort of, I suppose, how much information is readily available for a young person that can actually dive in and, and you know, get a lot of the same information they could from uni practically themselves and then go out and start applying mm -hmm. it? Yeah, I, I was actually thinking about this the other day, how my experience versus my you know, some of the some of the junior people in the team that have come in and you ask about their history and they're like, oh, you know, I just got into building um, websites. I just did a few courses online. Whereas back in my day, there just seemed to be this huge uh, need to go and learn it properly and go and spend three years just like in the in the DNA of this, this sort of um, topics. And going to uni for me was kind of enforced by my parents. They're like, this is the way that you sort of get ahead. Um, now with all the availability of all this information and you've got YouTube that had like a, it's a basically unending resource of, of inspiration and um, insight and, you know, tutorials. I, yeah, I, I kind of question the, the value of uni. So I don't know that could be, you know, um, a controversial thought, but I remember going to uni, learning, you know, the basic premise of the, the tools that I was using, the photoshops and the illustrators and InDesign, and then recognizing that, that I sort of hit a level of, what they were going to teach me and there was so much self-exploration and education that i needed to go and do so i just like jumped into tutorials and i i just spent hours and hours and hours and i recognized that i was learning far more than i had in, in you know, a three-year period at uni so yeah i'm really excited to see the future of education um and it, it may not be that you know it's a single uni it's kind of these like leaders in the space that um, people go to for specific sort of insights yeah, and I think that you can dip in. I had the exact same experience as you. Um, and I think that our our generation will, for the large part, I think, have a bit of a different perspective on what you need to do after school. I didn't, I, 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 I studied design um, at school. Luckily, we had a design component um, in high school and I loved it. And we were doing Photoshop and Illustrator. And then, yeah, I, I was told to go into advertising or you know, maybe vis viscom if, you know, if that's really what you wanted to do. Um, 
and I didn't really want to do either, but I went into VidsCom, got in there and sort of they handed us like, you know, chalk and a piece of paper and some some scissors and we're like, you know, this is graphic design. And I was like, where's Photoshop? Um, <laughs> and I mean, again, in hindsight, I look back now, I didn't finish it, but in hindsight, I, it was actually probably a really good foundation in, in design. But yeah, like we, I think we were just already at that, you know, late 90s at that cusp of understanding that we could teach ourselves online and um, there was so much that just could, you could learn and go out there and, and apply quickly so um, it's a tricky one tertiary education especially in especially in these fields that that move quickly mm, yeah I think the biggest the biggest gap for me um, obviously the isolation of learning online is a big thing for me like obviously there's communities that you can tap into but that kind of there are a lot of experiences that you can't really replicate at home like going to the awful uni bar, and getting, you know, kind of a bit merry with your new friends that are geographically really fragmented. Like up to that point of uni, you're generally living and working and going to school with people in your local area. So they kind of, there's not a huge amount of diversity of thought or backgrounds, you know, depending on where you live, obviously. But going to uni, you've got people from suburbs I had not encountered. And then you've got all these different experiences of different schooling. So, there's kind of an element, I guess, where meetups come into play. Um, but there's some fundamental gaps that I had in my learning uh, for design, especially that I I think could be absolutely solved. And a lot of that is like never, it's very rare that in design teaching, they give you insights onto how difficult it is to be a client. Um, and that articulation is like incredibly tough. And that's something that you generally don't experience until you're, you know, you're in the work force and you're having to like, wrangle with somebody that can't explain in your terms what success is so yeah i think maybe i'll, I'll get on the board of a uni help them out <laughs> see how i go you, you found you found yourself in in london uh, after after those seven years of uni <laughs> i did yeah i think uh so it's it's um important to note as well during the entire seven years at uni i was i'd always had two or three jobs on the go as well so i was doing sort of full-time freelance um yeah, I was crushing some pretty big hours. I think that's a common thread in my, I sort of work myself to the bone, but it's out of out of a deep love for it. So I was working, doing actual practic graphic, pra- practical graphic design all through uni. And then I think I'd sort of reached a little period of burnout, decided to pack it all in, go to London and um, do the classic expat sort of thing and, and, and um, burn around there for a while. And then ended up sitting there for almost five years. And I bounced around from some pretty interesting spots. I started obviously in a cafe, the obligatory cafe, Australian pouring coffees. Um, I got to serve Kevin from Tame Parlor a coffee, which was big highlight for me, and Jarvis Cocker, um, which was, yeah, I was sort of shaking as I handed it to him. Um, I got into fashion early on there. So I was doing graphic design for a very trendy East London uh, label, um, a world that I had not really been involved in. So that was a really interesting way to see my designs applied onto actual garments and then designing sort of lookbooks. And um, it was kind of the beginning of social media as a, as a real uh, marketing platform. So a lot of not really knowing anything about anything, I was just sort of bouncing around, figuring stuff out. And, and that was a really collaborative and exciting environment um, to work within. Then, yeah, I moved into sort of a, a more traditional agency um, working on some immediately exciting brands but the realities of the work was kind of different so it was like uh arsenal united arsenal and then manchester united sorry um so working on these back-end uh sort of experiences for the for these business packages so you know you've got your entire company of 
investment bankers going to the football. I was designing that sort of flow. Um, so I got my first sort of taste of experiential design and sort of um, really brand immersive websites, but also like hyper-functional uh, you know, UX kind of utility design. So yeah, I got I got the full spectrum of, of where I wanted to be. And I really, I, I really enjoyed that accessibility side and sort of designing uh, to, to sort of facilitate a specific function or action as opposed to designing a really brand immersive website that the purpose could have been a little bit more, you know, vague. Um, and then after London, yeah, I did some freelance after working in that place and, and uh, really got a taste for what it's like to live hand to mouth and, and be very um, aggressive with trying to find new clients. So, yeah, I've sort of done it, done it all really. Did you find, were you working agency side in Melbourne before you went to London? No. So I was actually working with my current co-founders in the beginnings of their sort of music marketing agency. And the key thread for me or theme for me was I was generally the individual design contributor in these companies, which is challenging when you don't really have a soundboard. Um, You know, I had some little online communities I'd ask questions of or I'd, I'd hit up my old design friends but yeah I was just the only only guy in the office and they're like we're going to do an animation I'm, all right okay I don't know how to do that but let's figure it out so I'd have a week to be competent in whatever it is um so there's yeah just me being the only one I had to work across everything I got exposed to everything I've done 60,000 product catalogs and then I've done run that entire print process I have no means no no business doing that but it's what was required so yeah, just that sort of get stuck in, roll my sleeves up mentality has been, yeah, common through my work. One of the things that I found interesting, so I, I was in London as well. I, I think I came back around the time that, that you were over there, or 2000, end of 2011, I, I came back. But uh, and I, I was freelancing over there, um, mostly doing web. But I found that more so probably just from some meetups and, you know, the Twitter community and just seeing what was happening in the web community in London, there was much more of a focus on you know, design for purpose and sort of uh, reverse engineering customers' needs and actually designing, you know, flows that that matched what your customers' needs as opposed to just making things pretty or, you know, designing, designing which, and coming back to Australia, I found that, you know, the, the discipline of, especially web, but just to design in general within businesses was was much more insular. And like you said, it's sort of one one person doing that or you might have the marketing department um, who's also web designer and print designer. And um, so that actual um, multi-discipline, so like a content strategy department or, you know, a UX actually being a, a practice or a discipline that's actually um, focused on wasn't really as prevalent here in Australia. And I, and I still feel as if we're sort of behind the eight ball in, in, in comparison to what's happening in Europe. Yeah, I'd absolutely echo that. Um, coming coming from sort of what I'd noticed in, in my time before I went to London um, and then coming back, I was working sort of one-on-one with these engineers and sort of getting, getting real-time feedback unfiltered as well from the person that was intended to implement all of my designs and they're sort of explaining to me okay well these are the constraints of code and i had no real digital understanding by that uh, in, in the early days so working together with the technical side that cross-functional team which i experienced over there coming back to, to australia when i started the agency that was a huge sort of goal for us was to we, we basically every single project that we did was um in order to afford that that engineer because we wanted to sort of work in tandem um and that outsourcing 
element, which a lot of companies or, you know, outsourcing the tech side to somebody else that's outside of the office. It can just be, yeah, really difficult to to work collaboratively together and make something, um, yeah, bridge that gap between design and de- development. Yeah, and it, it is often just seen as two very separate disciplines that don't need to go together. And then that loop back from development into design again or you know strategy or or marketing or whatever it might be um are often sort of compartmentalized when really that should have well in practice as one sort of holistic flow you end up with better products yeah absolutely definitely cool so the um the agency you came back so bolster um so that you came back and and jumped back into that after london I did. So Alex and Anth, they were kind of knocking on my door the entire time. They're like, when are you coming back? And it was one of those trips. It was six months that sort of uh, became an indefinite stay. Uh, my partner, she has a Maltese passport. So I was like, all right, well, we can stay here as long as we want. And that was kind of the goal or the intention with Europe being stone's throw. It's very um, enticing to stay. Mm. But the opportunity to start uh, the agency came and I'd sort of been, I'd left that agency that I was at in London. Uh, I felt sort of stagnated and I wasn't really learning and I wanted to try that freelance life. Um, and I was really enjoying that, but the opportunity to start a business and actually sort of work on some pretty big campaigns back home. Yeah, it was, uh, it got me on the plane. Um, we didn't take any wages for about three years. So it was definitely an exciting time, but growing something with, with some friends uh, in, in a space music that we absolutely love. Um, was, yeah, sort of an opportunity I couldn't turn down. And it sort of led to, you know, where I am today, which is nice. Exciting. And so so we'll jump into that. So um, Linktree, which you're a co-founder of, which many of our listeners um, will be aware of, uh, came out of, a, I suppose, frustration from you guys at, at Bolster. Tell us a little bit about the sort of the seed of, of that idea. Yeah. So like I mentioned before, um, every sort of project that we did, we, we had this sort of goal, like a Kickstarter of our own. And once we achieve this, we'll be able to afford a developer. Because at that point, like I said, we weren't taking a wage. Everything was to grow the business. So we finally hired this designer, uh, sorry, developer, and we're super excited. We knew that we didn't quite have enough work to facilitate them or to, to sort of um, keep them busy. So we always wanted to have these like little digital products that would sort of be tied to music in some way or marketing. Um, kind of like you, you just have those brand immersive Spotify experiences. We wanted to build stuff like that. That's what excited us. So anyway, we at that time, we were sort of working with hundreds of clients, like clients in, in from this the scale of a very small budget that are just trying to uh, sort of market an album to large scale festivals like Splendor in the Grass um, with 60,000 tickets to sell, whatever it is. Uh, so the spectrum was was broad. And at the time, the, the algorithm it, in um, Instagram was chronological. So then they, they flipped that to that sort of engagement-fed, engagement-based uh, algorithm. And what that meant was you might be seeing a post from two weeks ago and it might be linked to a, to a link, uh, tied to a link that's no longer relevant or active. So that's, um, that's an issue for, for that end visitor trying to, trying to like click on that link, it's no longer valid. Uh, and then because of the scale of clients we had, we were basically swapping links out left, right and center. So we were, that was irritating, number one, just the, the time. Um, and then the second thing was that sacrifice of one initiative over another. So it's often that everything's relevant for somebody. So for an artist, let's say, which is where we focused our um, our initial ideation on, they've got sort of merch to sell, they've got a tour to to get 
to sell tickets to. They might have released a song. All of that is still relevant, but they were having to go, okay, it's my tour today, my tickets tomorrow, uh, you know, all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, that's the problem we solved um, initially. Nice. And what was the what was that sort of moment where you were like, okay, well, great, we, um, we, we're having to jump in and change these links all the time. What was was it was it as simple as hey why don't we just create a web page that has multiple links on it yeah i my memory's a little foggy <laughs> but i'm pretty sure alex alex came in and he goes dude like surely there's an easy way what if we just make this kind of like landing page of links um you can connect everything to it so it's one link goes to a landing page and then it diverts from there um Six hours later, we had a prototype effectively. So this is in the you know the morning of. Um, I did some rough designs uh, with a developer, Mike, who's still with us to this day. Awesome. And we were sort of just like free jazzing this this thing. What it, what it's going to look like? We eventually landed on this like very very simple utilitarian link tree, which is not dissimilar to what you find today. And that's that's like it, that's an intentional decision for the design decision. Um, so yeah, six hours later, had a working prototype. The back end was non-existent. We didn't sit down for weeks and kind of go like, all right, well, what about the infrastructure layer and what could this happen? It was just solve this problem for us and then move on, really. And so what I'm really interested in, because I mean, I love the I love these sort of uh, success stories where you something's just whipped up in six hours and then um, all of a sudden now <laughs> over five million users. Is that is that right? Or is it more than that now? Uh, eight, eight million. About wow. Eight point something. Yeah, eight. it's crazy. There you go. Um, I've worked with a lot of app startups in my career and people that are interested in getting into into the world of sort of a, a, a text you know business. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit about the reality from going from yeah great we, we created something in six hours to actually scaling to eight million plus users because uh, I think I think I think there's a, a big gap in the middle there that most people don't appreciate. Yeah, <clears throat> there there definitely is. Um, I think so. We never really started out wanting to be tech startup founders to be to be absolutely frank mm. um we don't really we, we have these sort of vision we want to um support creators so in in the agency anytime we had a budget to do so we would try and you know loop in a, a musician in that marketing so there's always been these like very um tight alignment to sort of making ethical decisions in, in the work that we make and um yeah i guess a tech startup scene wasn't anything i was aware of at that point i was living in the music um beer soaked sort of arena there and i was happy um then so we built this product in six hours over the over the next two weeks or so we sort of productized it um created a skeletal sort of brand and we thought there was potential there but obviously we had a growing agency and that was like picking up steam so it was kind of put that on the back burner uh you know, uh, it's sort of being so self-referral, um, referring, sorry, the Linktree logo at the bottom started to just like, you know, funnel new users into that flow. And we get sort of drip fed 10, 20 signups a day. And we were happy with that. Um, then, you know, we kind of left it for a few months and then it got product hunted. So Alex was always on that, just like, well, one day I'm going to launch on product hunt. It's going to be sick. I'm going to get product of the day. Somebody did it for us, uh, which was we were certainly not prepared for it. And then that traffic. So I guess that sort of began the first wave of, um, you know, a week later, Alicia Keys signs up. And wow. then that was kind of it. We That trajectory was just like we were catapulted into, okay, well, now we have this platform that we haven't really spent a huge amount of time thinking about how it's going to grow. We have a support 
um, requests coming in, like emails flying in. We were getting up to a thousand signups a day, and we certainly weren't prepared for that. Um, so there was a lot of learning on the job. And Alex, Anthony, and I at the time lived together. So for about three years, we lived together. Uh, I don't know if I'd recommend it from a mental health perspective, <laughs> but it was incredibly efficient. We got a lot of stuff done, and we grew really close as as friends, founders. Um, so yeah, that that sort of gap from I don't know because we potentially didn't spend so much time painstaking over what this would become. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of it was organically driven, sort of growth. The brand we didn't spend a lot of time like, okay, what's our platform? What's the vision? It's, you know, just make the product, make it better, make it work. Um, and yeah, the, I think the biggest thing that informed myself personally and, and I could, yeah, potentially Alex and Anth was that unfiltered feedback uh, from the users that we were getting these early adopters. So at the time there was no, no other service like it. There was sort of Wix, Squarespace, highly involved, um, you know, website builders. This is a very sort of functional, frictionless tool, very simple to use, but we were getting people from, you know, middle of America, 3am, I'm on support, trying to solve this person's problem. And I'm recognizing in real time, like all the the gaps in the design or the the mistakes that we made. So that early feedback from users was absolutely fundamental to to like where we are today and uh, where we are today. And it sort of underpinned every decision ongoing. So, yeah. How, how, how long was it before, like how many how many users were you at before you actually started employing people um, to come and work on the platform when it wasn't just the three of you? Yeah, so obviously the, the agency was scaling so quickly. We knew that it was important for Linktree to have some dedicated heads. So we got an engineer. Um, we were growing the engineering department in the agency and Linktree was kind of that uh, you would get assigned a few few days a week just to you know, focus on infrastructure, that sort of thing. But there was no real focus on it for a while because we had this scaling agency. And I think um, I think it probably got to a million users and we were kind of like, okay, well, this is an actual product that's proven in the space um, where the category, we created this category and now we're the market leader. We should probably do something with it. So I don't know, it could have been a year or two, like an insane amount of time. Um, in hindsight, I think, we probably could have acted a lot sooner, but again, with you know two concurrently growing businesses, it's very difficult to prioritize and focus. So, what that led to us doing was splitting out our roles. I was fifty percent across both for a little while. Alex entirely on Linktree, Anthony entirely on the the agency, and I was just sort of uh, straddling those two hemispheres, which was challenging. Um, but yeah, I guess to be honest, in the last eighteen months, we've really put the foot down and and sort of grown that team from five to 10 to 40 now. So, wow. Yeah. And I imagine, so within all of that, you've got, so you're saying, you know, you've come from a world of, you know, design and and music and and fashion and and sort of more of a traditional design background into this world of like tech. I imagine even at a million users, the, the constraints of the the technology, you know, sure. It's a, it's a simple platform, but I imagine there's a, there's a, there's a lot of constraint in there from a bandwidth perspective and, and everything else as you're growing. And then you've got a million people that want uh, tech support and customer support and then uh, thinking about marketing and then also growing a new team on top of that. There's a, there's a lot as a founder to actually have to take in and, and juggle. Yeah, I've definitely um, aged like an avocado, <laughs> I would say. Um, so every gray hair is a little badge of honor. But yeah, I think 
I always say we were sort of building the plane as we were flying or laying the tracks as the train um, came, which is incredibly motivating and a little terrifying, but it's it's kind of exciting as well. It's very rare that you're um, – there was never a dull moment, I'd say. But that sort of transition um, happened, yeah, without – it was mostly led by instinct. So I think a lot of our decisions have been informed by instinct. And then now we're growing a team and we're getting sort of dedicated people with a dedicated skill set they're almost validating some of the decisions we made. Cool. And now we have the data to look through and we have people that are, you know, classically trained in X, Y, Z. They're like, yeah, you made the right decision here or here's where we can improve. So yeah, that leading by instinct was was definitely something that um, it was kind of necessary at that point, I suppose. I'm interested in a term like design thinking, right? Um, and how, what, what, is, what, is, what does that term mean to you? Yeah, so I'll be absolutely frank. I... Every single, every single thing that I do is designed in some way, like, which may sound manipulative, but I design, I'm very adaptive to the scenario. So I'll design my feedback or a conversation with an intended outcome. Um, so I'll design the way that I'm writing a Slack, making sure that I know this person's going to receive that message or um, design thinking for me isn't really sort of a tactical scientific approach. It's just kind of like embedded in everything I do. So in terms of the terminology, um, I'm definitely not classically trained in that as well. I'm more of a practical learner, but I'm I'm always trying to figure out like how it's all about communication for me. No matter what the end state is or what medium I'm using, everything is about how can I craft this message to be received better. So, yeah, I spend a lot of time working on that. I'm basically a glorified um, feedback machine at this point. Which is essentially what the design thinking is, right? I, I feel like personally, I, I tend to agree. I think that that organic process of growing anything and of building something, if you're laying the tracks in front of you as as the uh, as the engine's moving, um, really is that process of learning quickly and adapting and, and, and getting the feedback and then taking the next step. Um, often the, the theory of a framework sort of gets in the way of actually laying the track. Yeah, definitely something I've encountered when I'm probably playing in a space that, uh, yeah, again, I've not um, learnt by, you know, the textbook equivalent. I've d- sort of done it, learnt by doing. Um, when you also, when you arrive at these, like, technical terms and double diamond sort of uh, design approaches, I recognise that it's quite validating because it's kind of what I've done organically. So a lot of that was not really having the time to go and spend two weeks um digging in through what I'm meant to be doing. It was kind of like, this feels like the the most um, logical step forward. And now that we've got a team to actually sort of bring us into more of a, a refined process, um, I'm able to start, you know, sharpening, sharpen my tools and make more informed decisions. But yeah, in, in the early days, it was just, okay, well, here's the problem. Let's attack it. It's us versus the problem, figure it out. And then, you know, the, luckily to, we haven't really made too many mistakes touch wood <laughs> you've kind of already answered this but it, um, it's something that i'm quite interested in how important is the role of design holistically in in your business yeah linktree is incredibly um driven by design so i think all of us have a lot of sensibilities toward it it's not there's no real um points where i'm having to fight for design or, or our voice isn't included or, or as equal as another department um it's definitely something we're working towards uh, like ingraining design into more of the co- the company as we scale, especially um, some people aren't quite aware of the the values and principles or the reasons why we do things. But 
yeah, I mean, design has been incredibly important. Um, although it's like an incredibly simple looking tool on the surface, a lot of those design decisions we painstake over. Um, and as we inc in increase the, f the functionality of the app, um, I don't want anybody on the front end, the user, to really know that that we're sort of adding all this functionality. It's kind of like you don't need to know how a combustion engine works to drive a car. Mm. Similarly, you don't need to understand the, the full tech stack under Linktree. It should just be, you know, very simple to use and operate. So design is absolutely at the forefront and it's it's in the C-suite level. It's, a, you know, it's, it's a theme on every within every conversation. So you mentioned sort of wanting to ingrain it further within sort of the, the DNA of the business. How do you think you go about doing that? Yeah, so we run on OKRs, um, which has been good. Uh, just good to have like consistently surfaced goals and, and themes uh, um, to inform our work. So a big part of that is like creating and de defining our guiding principles for the design team. But it's also related to like how we operate as a business Um ongoing and, and as we include new people into that uh, making sure that they're aligned and on the right bus with us so um a few where we often ask these questions like is it a link tree which is an incredibly vague question without context but it's sort of like making sure that um learning from some of the mistakes and pitfalls that other platforms have encountered and and you know tying revenue to add uh, you know their only source of revenue is ad funded um we sort of were trying to do the opposite and question the status quo. So, you know, the intention economy has been driving a lot of apps forward. We wanted to do the opposite of that and try and make more ethical um, human-led decisions. So, yeah, for us, it's an interesting time to within the design department to start to, like, write out the ways of working and then presenting that back to the business. Super exciting. Um, we're just, yeah, sort of halfway through it at the moment. How many people in the design department? Hmm. Not enough. Um, <laughs> absolutely not enough. The I, I really don't know why we got to this position, but we've been holding up 8 million users with kind of two designers, wow. 2.5. I'm the 0. 0.5. Um, I'm rarely, rarely on the tools. I'm more of a Google Slides kind of man at the moment, yeah. um, which I actually have a, a love-hate relationship with that platform. Um, but yeah, so we have one dedicated UI designer and sort of he's, he's like UX leaning. Um, but we've just hired a, you know, dedicated UX designer. And then we have a marketing designer and that is it, uh, which is insane in terms of we've got in-app, in-app designs, EDMs that go out. We have a global platform. Um, we're running in three languages and that's only intended to scale. So yeah, design was kind of the last mouth to be, to be fed, um, only because we were trying to scale the development side of things, the engineering squad. And that's just necessities of a platform that has, you know, so much traffic. We're, we're getting sort of five, excuse me, 560 million unique views a month on Linktree wow. platforms. So, <laughs> yeah, the desperate need for engineers to facilitate that outweighed our, our focus for the design department, which, which is unfortunate, but, you know, um, you got to play the cards you dealt. So, yeah, design is, any, any designers listening, please hit me up. <laughs> yes, desperate to meet you. That's um, obviously speaks to the organic growth of the platform, though, you know, with the such a small um, marketing comms department. Um, you, you have seen sort of fairly, you mentioned sort of that um, being featured on Product Hunt and then someone like Alicia Keys coming on board. I, I suppose that that does just sort of push, you know, fairly heavy organic growth when you can have those types of people on board. 
Yeah, definitely. Obviously, those kind of um, users with a lot of influence, let's say, um, they're incredibly valuable from a marketing sense. They kind of they are the marketing engine, mm. and uh, but we absolutely don't rely on that as the only area of growth. Like we just, it's always focusing on how can we make this product better and easier and you know simpler and maintaining uptime. Uh, the expectations on tech now is everybody's measuring everything against Instagram, Google, Facebook with just like the deepest pockets you could imagine. Mm. For an app like us and, and others in the space, um, people's expectation is on its delivery of service is incredibly high. So, yeah, it's, um, it's, a, it's an interesting one. And now the users have so much choice. They're incredibly discerning. It's important for us to, to really focus on that. I think that's actually a really interesting uh, point. We were talking off air before we started just about sort of slowing down, being forced to slow down um, through to, due to COVID. But there's all in in this world of sort of online business, there is this. Yeah, people get compared to these huge giant unicorns all the time. But there's there's room for to have a, a very you know profitable and. Uh, enjoyable small business that can support you know even maybe a few thousand users um that doesn't need to grow bigger than that um that, do you think that there's space for i suppose you know people to actually have small business online that, that can serve users and, and be quite niche as opposed to this this sort of incessant need to scale to 100 million plus yeah i mean i think a lot of our growth was just organically uh it it, it happened organically and sort of led us to this position where we have a platform and um, we can see the sort of growth potential. Uh, we, yeah, we never sort of initially decided let's make the next Twitter or something. Yeah, um, sure. But that's what the market has has sort of definitely asked for, and we're sort of facilitating that need. We created this category; it's growing at a at a rate of knots. Um, so it was evident to us that there was a missing piece, um, that sort of connective tissue from social to, you know, wherever else. Um, and also, what we've recognised is the need to democratise. Uh, the digital experience or the the um the ability for somebody to have a digital presence so in the early days speaking directly to users they couldn't figure out these other website builders but linktree they could just about muster and they they're almost using it as a website replacement so you know for us definitely that growth and and becoming a platform of this scale and the roadmap ahead is it's pretty exciting in terms of a smaller more niche business that's definitely um I definitely think it's a, it's doable, especially with the enablement tools like the Canvas, and um, you know you can you have so much access to these tools that beforehand you'd have to hire a design resource or a freelancer. Now you can just pay a subscription and kind of start a business in the fastest way possible. So, yeah, I'm excited to see the future of, of what that brings, like all these creators monetizing individually um, at pace and at scale. I'm interested in your thoughts, um, you know, sort of being fairly immersed in this world now around what you sort of see as the, I suppose, some of the next trends on, on the web. Um, you're coming out of sort of that heavy sort of ex experience design. And it being, I think in music and, and more of the art world, you know, that's sort of that's quite prevalent. But then Linktree itself is, um, you know, very sort of simple and a, a guided experience that you really can't uh, you can't mess up. What, what do you see as the maybe some of the, the future trends um, in the world of web? Yeah, so <clears throat> I do um, I do enjoy speculative design so or speculative thinking. I also like catastrophic thinking as well, trying to think of all the 
all the bad things that could happen then designing to defend against that. But in terms of the speculative exercises we've done at Linktree, it's kind of thinking about like, what does 5G mean for, for online experiences? Like how could that inform some of the, the features that we'll release ongoing? Um, and, you know, what about market changes? Uh, what, what happens when social media changes? So trying to defend against that and um, just look a little further on the horizon. In terms of, like, I've come from a world of designing really brand immersive experiences and absolutely loving that sort of application of a brand uh, from, you know, a logo and a style guide that you're given and then, like, weaving it into a digital experience. Um, I absolutely love that and, and see a need for it. Linktree is kind of this utilitarian very hyper-functional tool that's it's conversion uh, focused and we you know I don't want to be adding too much embellishment because uh, it's it's important to say that we have two people that we work for there's the user of a link tree and then that the end visitor so a lot of what we're focused on is building that trust for the end visitor to land on a link tree and know they're sort of already primed to discover that content there's a pattern for discovery that they're aware of um, we're actually seeing that Link trees get clicked more out of uh, out of these social platforms than any other. So if you have your own website versus a link tree, people are more primed to click a link tree because they know what to expect when they land on mm. it. So, you know, as we sort of scale, keeping a link tree looking like a link tree is hyper important to us. And it's also, you know, giving people the the choice to discover content. It's not, um, you know, dropping them into a website that may have like a non uh, linear navigation structure so you know we know what the, the function that we provide and the purpose that we're um the problem that we're solving uh i still think you know those amazing digital experiences like billy eilish's homepage that absolutely has a place um we're just helping people get from a to b yeah and that, i think that's an interesting point is there's the um you know there's the the time and the place for a, a clearly defined pathway and there's the time and place for you know a forest that you can jump in and explore Cool. I'm interested, uh, maybe a final question. So obviously, you know, agency owner, now Linktree co-founder, um, you, you've mentioned a few times that you sort of burn the candle at both ends. As, as, a, as a leader now, like how do you actually for yourself go and seek um, professional and uh, other advice to continue your sort of growth as a human? Yeah, I think I'm one of those, uh, I'm hyper, hyper, I don't know if it's, right to say, but I'm incredibly empathetic, um, potentially uh, not as empathetic as I could be to myself many times. But I think that's just the the nature of building a scaling business and um, adding more and more people into that team. It's very hard to find that time to focus on yourself. And I'm incredibly um, focused on giving them really hyper contextualized and insightful feedback as well, because I want them to progress just as much as possible. What I found personally is like that can also stunt my development as a manager. I'm not able to go and spend two weeks learning how to communicate better or, um, you know, going going in on a specific area of knowledge that I have a gap in. So, yeah, it's something that I'm sort of grappling with at the moment. I think I, I do subscribe to a lot of um, newsletters when I have the time to read it, get some really great insights from those people. Um, when we were allowed to meet physically and I, I would go to these uh, sort of meetups or I would go to um, sort of events like Pause Fest, for example, and just having that, the ability to talk to somebody that's had a similar experience. Um, I hung out with one of the founders of Patreon, showed him some koalas. Cool. 
really got to have some like pretty open and honest chats and and that that has been incredibly validating as well to know that there's other people that are having those issues um and you can have talk about the battle scars and all that sort of stuff uh and i'm also in this thing called growth club which is a victorian initiative um and it sort of groups you with other founders in the same scale up stage and that's been incredibly valuable because yeah i mean you're so deep deeply involved in your business it's very hard to go all right i'm going to take a few hours off to go and talk to these people because you know you've got a mountain of stuff to get done this is like a way uh you know to talk to actual founders that are going through it with you um and it's kind of like a bit of a support group uh, effectively so that's been absolutely incredibly valuable but yeah i think burning the candle at both ends is something i'm absolutely guilty of and i think um I'm one of those leaders that would jump on a grenade for my team. But I think, yeah, I probably need to shield myself a little more. But I'm working yeah, on it. It's hard. It's hard when you're, when you're running that mm-hmm. fast. But I think that, yeah, especially taking that time to speak to other people that are in the same boat as you is uh, quite cathartic. Yeah, just it's not even venting. It's just going, you know what, like I see you and I know it, employees or your teammates don't need to be privy and you shouldn't expect them to know every single thing that you're working on. And there's a level of understanding of like business acumen that they, they really, there's a level of transparency they certainly need. Um, but also they, they also don't need to know that you are up, you know, up on the weekends struggling to sleep because you're thinking of X, Y, and Z like that, that kind of signaling isn't great to help a team grow. Um, so being able to talk to other founders that are, that are having similar sort of thoughts and, and I can bounce ideas off as it, using them as a sounding board has been absolutely invaluable. So I recommend anybody in the same position to try and find, um, you know, somebody going through it. Awesome, mate. Well, uh, I won't take up any more of your time. Thank you so much for, uh, for taking the time out of your day to have a chat with us. If people want to find out more about uh, yourself or, or Bolster or, or Linktree, where, where can they look? Yeah. Uh, firstly, thank you so much for having me. This has been very fun. Um, I'm not a social media kind of guy. Uh, I have I have sort of a private account, um, and I mostly just share terrible memes with friends. But LinkedIn is a good place. I will get back to you at some point. Um, yeah, I'm trying to get better. I just got superhuman, which is like blowing my mind for for emails. Have you got? No, it? I do not. I'll, Tell me. I will send you. Okay. It's uh, it's kind of like this new wave of I've reached inbox zero for the first time in you know five years. Nice. So little tear rolled down my cheek. Um, but yeah, you can find out more about uh, me, you know, hit me up on LinkedIn, obviously Linktree. Um, and then, yeah, Bolster. It's uh, something I'm actually transitioning myself out of to focus more on Linktree. But um, yeah, just seeing that, hoping that music industry bounces back. Um, mm. Super excited to see what, what COVID, uh, you know, does to regenerate that industry. Um, Pretty, pretty difficult times, but yeah. One thing I will tell the listeners to uh, to check out on on the Bolster website, you've got your uh, staff uh, handbook or your business handbook on on the website, which I, I think is a really a brilliant example of of a handbook, and I love that it's public facing. So I think that's that's worth checking out. Yeah, that was um, two weeks of <laughs> utter utter hell in terms of we had this mountain of stuff we wanted to convey, um, and knowing that this is the best way to really filter the candidates that we were getting. Cause we would, you know, that the, the offering of that business is very difficult to a tradi- traditional agency. We're actually going through the same thing with Linktree because we're not a traditional tech platform and some of the expectations people have of tech 
don't quite align with the way that we're, we're sort of growing Linktree. Um, and uh, the the handbook has been an incredible tool to sort of convey that vibe to people. Um, and they almost know they, they sort of know what to expect when they're coming into that team. So yeah, have a read. It, it was super fun to do. I think probably need to update it now, but um, yeah, it's a good exercise. Awesome, mate. Well, uh, thanks so much for your time and uh, all the best to, to you guys over there in Victoria. We hope we can uh, get over there soon and, uh, and actually enjoy a beer in person. That would be so, so good. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Awesome, mate. Hey, guys, Sam here again. Thanks so much, Nick, for that chat. I really enjoyed it and yeah, love the product. So uh, I'm sure you can just Google Linktree to find out more. And uh, like I said, this is the the last episode of this season. So we're wrapping things up here and we'll be back bigger, better, shinier later in 2021. So thank you all for listening and uh, I'll speak to you soon. Cheers.